Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 213, three random turkey hunting topics. Or if you want to call it this, another pot of turkey mulligan stew. And I am your host, and the guy who overate twice on Thanksgiving Day. And the guy who almost broke a trencher. And (laughs) the guy who went deer hunting for the first time this season. Yes, that's what happens when I get a little time off of work and away from the computer screen and the telephone. I overeat, I break stuff, and I try to kill things. So we are 107 days, 12 hours, 43 minutes, and one whole second away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you those stories here very quickly. Fortunately for me, all of my family and all of my wife's family both are in town, local. The reason I say fortunately is because it's really nice on the holidays to not have to travel. And for those of you who travel on the holidays to go be with loved ones or friends, then you know it stinks. It is not any fun. But the downside to having both families in town is that you have to do each holiday two times. So Thursday at lunch, we went to my parents' house and had lunch there. We packed up around 3 o'clock and drove to my wife's niece's house because she was hosting Thanksgiving for my wife's side of the family, and I had to eat dinner. And when I say I had to eat, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't have to eat. No one held a gun to my head. But when they started uncovering dishes, (laughs) all of a sudden I got hungry again. So that was Thursday. Friday morning, I loaded up and went to the new hunting camp where my dad, my oldest brother, and one of our good friends and fellow hunting club members, Rocco, were working trying to get the water line installed to our trailer that we use for our hunting camp and to get the sewer line run from the trailer to the septic tank, or maybe I should say the septic 
tank line run. So fortunately for us, my very frugal father decided to splurge and rent a trencher. And the trencher, I'm not going to say was wearing him out because he was handling it pretty well. But when I got there, I took over after he jumped off to go take care of another issue. And I was operating the trencher on the side of a hill. And the the instructions for the trencher indicate that it is not to be operated on greater than a, I believe it was a 15% incline. Well, I now know why, because I think I was operating it on a 15.5% incline, and one of the tracks on the trencher almost came off. And we had to use a tow strap, my pickup truck, and almost a full can of WD-40 to get it back on the machine properly so that we could even move it. The machine wouldn't even move because the track was binding against the body of the machine. And that's where the WD-40 came in handy. So that ended up being a much bigger ordeal than it needed to be. But we got it fixed. We got our water hooked up. We got our poo pipe hooked up. And we have us a real live hunting camp now because the power has been hooked up for a week or so. Once we got all of that done Friday, Saturday morning, I woke up and went to the woods to the new hunting property and hunted Saturday morning. And I did not see a deer, but I heard a turkey gobble. And probably like most of you, that's enough. I could have just left and gone home at that point and it would have been the greatest day ever. Well, maybe not ever, but pretty close. So all in all, over the long holiday weekend, it was a very nice time. I enjoyed spending time with friends and family, just like I'm supposed to, just like the holiday is all about. And I got to take some time to recharge after a couple, actually it was more than a couple. It's been several rough weeks of work. So I got to relax a little bit, unwind, and enjoy some downtime. Oh yeah, and did I mention that my favorite college football team beat its arch rival this weekend? So that kind of makes things even better. Oh, and something just as exciting, my arch rival is going to keep their head football coach for at least another year. That is exciting. So as I told you guys, I've got another hot pot of turkey mulligan stew today, so let's jump into this thing. Now the first topic was recommended by Jeremy Vincent. Jeremy actually made several different show topic suggestions a while back and I want to cover one of those for you guys today and that is turkey guns. You know I've covered this topic partially in a previous episode but Jeremy asks some pretty good questions that I want to address specifically. So the first thing that he wanted to know about is a camo gun versus a black gun. Jeremy, I have killed, I can't tell you how many turkeys with my 12 gauge Browning Gold Hunter that I have affectionately named Black Death. I named it Black Death because it is solid black and it's death to a wild turkey. Now, having a camo gun for turkey hunting is not absolutely necessary. But I'm going to say that having a camouflaged gun has to be advantageous for us. We are in the woods hunting an animal with much better eyesight than we have. 
an animal that has the word wild in its name. And anything that we can do as hunters to give ourselves an advantage in the woods over a wild turkey, we probably should do. We don't have to wear camouflage clothes when we go hunting. There have been, Lord only knows how many millions of turkeys killed before camouflage was ever invented. But I feel like personally, I'm at more of an advantage if I'm dressed in full camo, and I probably would be at more of an advantage if I were hunting with a camouflage gun instead of a solid black gun. But if I sent Black Death off to get camoed, I'd have to change her name. And that name is just sexy. Really and truly, most of the time, the way that we get busted by a wild turkey while we're hunting is not because something that we have on sticks out or is noticeable, but because that thing that sticks out or is noticeable moved. Most of the time when we spook a turkey, it is the movement that spooks turkeys. Yes, it could possibly be the glare off of a gun barrel, the glare from our eyeglasses, the glare from the glass on our watch that has gotten exposed, maybe a necklace or an earring, anything like that. If it catches any kind of a ray of sunshine and reflects any kind of light, that could be something that spooks a turkey. But most of the time, what spooks that turkey is not a black gun over a camouflage gun. It's the movement of that black gun and it's the movement of that camouflage gun. Now, we have no way of knowing this for sure, but I think that we can probably get away moving a camouflage gun more so than we can a black gun on a turkey. In fact, I'm going to take this a step further. Since no one can prove or disprove this to be truth, why not take it a step further? <laughs> I think that we can get away with more movement if our gun is not only camoed, but if we've added some sort of depth to that camouflage. So what I mean by that is we can try to use maybe some sort of leafy camouflage, or we can go to Michael's or Hobby Lobby and buy some artificial ivy and attach the leaves of that artificial ivy to our guns and probably wouldn't hurt to attach some to ourselves as well. The only downside to attaching anything to your gun is that it may impede you from being able to make a quick shot or if it falls across the barrel, keep you from aiming the gun. Neither of those are a good thing. But think about it. If a wild turkey got scared and ran off every time leaves in the woods moved, I think they'd be extinct because they all would have had heart attacks. And one more thing to think about. How many of a wild turkey's natural predators are covered in leaves? I don't believe there's a bush or a tree out there that has attacked a wild turkey before. So adding that third dimension Attaching some leaves to our guns in some shape, form, or fashion can probably help us get away with a little bit more movement than just having a black gun out there in the wide open. Personally, I don't have anything on my guns. My 20 gauge is black and my 12 gauge is black. I don't use any sort of camo on those at all. Now, one of my turkey hunting buddies, Todd, he has actually spray painted his gun. He's camoed it up. Well, kind of. 
a lot of the camo has worn off but he used spray paint, just a flat spray paint, green and brown. I don't think he used any black because there's black on the gun already, and tan, and he spray painted his gun, which we have affectionately named Ugly Betty because she's the ugliest girl at the ball, I'll promise you. And I've rambled on about this for quite a while, but to sum it up, all things being equal, I believe a camo gun is better than a black gun. But I'll take a black gun that patterns good over a camo gun that doesn't any day of the week. Alright, so the second subtopic that Jeremy wanted me to cover on turkey guns is barrel length. And regarding barrel length, I am of the opinion, as are quite a few people, that when turkey hunting, barrel length has very little effect on our pattern. Not enough of an effect to warrant having a four or six or eight inch longer barrel than what we really need. With today's incredible technology in shotgun chokes and incredible technology with shotgun shells, what we lose in our pattern by having a shorter barrel shotgun than a longer barrel shotgun, we can make up for with chokes and shotgun shells. Now, I'm also of the opinion that if this is not going to be just a turkey gun, and it is going to be a duck gun, and a dove gun, and a pheasant and quail gun, any type of bird gun, a longer barrel is a better barrel. To me, a longer barrel shotgun, it just gets on target easier on flying birds, and I actually think they're weighted a little bit better for moving shots. When I'm turkey hunting, I want to lose as much weight as I can, and I want to be able to maneuver myself around in the woods as easily as I can. If I'm carrying around a six and a half foot long shotgun, and obviously I'm exaggerating there, but if I'm carrying around a shotgun with a 28 inch barrel in the woods, I'm getting caught on every vine that I try to walk under, every tree branch that I try to walk under, and when I'm sitting down and I'm on a turkey and I have to move the gun to get my sight on that turkey's waddles before I squeeze the trigger, I'll run the risk of bumping more saplings and more vines and more weeds and more tree branches with a longer barrel shotgun than I do with a shorter barrel shotgun. Jeremy, go with the shorter barrel. You'll enjoy hunting with the gun more. It will shoot almost as good as any longer barrel shotgun does. And yes, you're going to lose a small, very small percentage of your pattern. But the right choke and shell combo will definitely make up for that. So the third subtopic that Jeremy wanted me to touch on regarding turkey guns is one that we probably have all struggled with at some point in time. And that is 3 inch versus 3.5 inch. Now, what I'm not real sure that Jeremy wants me to touch on is, are we talking about three inch or three and a half inch shells or three inch or three and a half inch chambered shotguns? And I think he wants me to touch on the shotguns, but I'm actually gonna to touch on both because I think it's important that we do. So let's talk chamber first. All right, I can cover this topic in one sentence. Get a three and a half inch chambered shotgun, but I'm not gonna cover that topic in just one sentence because I'm gonna explain why. So the longer chamber on that three and a half inch shotgun obviously gives you 
more shotgun shell options. If you buy a three inch chambered 12 gauge, you can't shoot three and a half inch shells in it. And if you can't shoot three and a half inch shells in it, then how are we ever gonna know if we could have gotten maybe a 25% better pattern with three and a half inch shells over three inch shells? One other thing that needs to be considered, and I don't know this to be a fact because I've never tested it out, but I have had numerous people tell me that this is true. Most three and a half inch chambered shotguns pattern three inch shotgun shells better than they pattern three and a half inch shotgun shells. So Andy, if that's the case, why would I want a three and a half inch chambered shotgun over a three inch chambered shotgun? Why don't I just get the three inch chambered shotgun and shoot three inch shells out of it? Again, you'll never know. If your three inch chambered shotgun will shoot three and a half inch shells better than it would three inch shells because you can't shoot three and a half inch shells in a three inch chambered shotgun. So for not much more money when you're purchasing a shotgun, consider paying the extra and getting the larger chambered three and a half inch 12 gauge over the three inch 12 gauge. Again, I think with the right shell and choke combination, you'll be very happy with your choice. So let's talk about shotgun shells for a second. Go with a three and a half inch chambered shotgun and pattern two and three quarter inch, three inch, and three and a half inch shells from the same manufacturer and make sure they're the same shot size so that you can see what difference there is in your pattern and use that knowledge to decide if the shorter shells and less dense pattern is worth the sacrifice of a bit more recoil and more dense pattern of a three and a half inch shell. If you're only getting a 5% better pattern with a three and a half inch shotgun shell over a three inch shotgun shell, it's probably not worth the extra recoil. But if you're getting a 25% better pattern with a three and a half inch shotgun shell over a three inch shotgun shell, yeah, you know, to shoot that three and a half inch, what, two, four, 10 times over a turkey season, so what? I'll take my bumps and bruises from shooting that bigger shell for a 25% better pattern. Oh yeah, and just a little aside, something to put in the back of your brain. When you do take your gun with those different length shotgun shells to the range to pattern it, start with the three and a half inch and work your way down to the two and three quarter inch. Your shoulder and your brain will thank you for it. Oh yeah, and one other thing, if the recoil from those three and a half inch shells really makes you not want to shoot them, then consider getting an aftermarket recoil pad. One that absorbs the recoil a lot better than the one that comes on the gun. A lot of shotgun manufacturers don't use the best recoil pad out there, the most shock absorbing recoil pad on the market. There are several of them out there. Take a look at them and try them out. It's the kind of thing that you can put on your gun and shoot and if you don't notice a difference, if you don't notice an improvement, box it up and ship it back. Return it to the store. No harm, no foul. As long as you didn't break it, of course. All right, so Jeremy, if you want some more detail on turkey guns, then 
I go over many more topics related to turkey guns in the turkey gun course on Turkey Hunting University. So go to Turkey Hunting University and check that out if you want some more information about turkey guns. And it's kind of a hands-on, hey, here's three different turkey guns. Here's what's good about this one. Here's what's good about this one. And here's what's good about this one. These are things you may want to look at when you're trying to choose a turkey gun for yourself. Okay, so our second topic or ingredient for our turkey mulligan stew today comes from none other than Joe Casalco. Joe made the topic suggestion for me to cover portable ground blinds for run and gun turkey hunting. So what exactly is that that Joe's asking about? You know, those lightweight camo fabric blinds with aluminum ground stakes? They're about, oh... 24 inches or so tall and can be set up or taken down in a matter of seconds and provide a little extra concealment for us as a turkey approaches our setup. That's what he's talking about and there are a wide variety of these on the market currently. For example, Hunter's Specialties makes one that has three aluminum stakes that stick in the ground. It weighs about two pounds and it is 27 inches tall and 12 feet long. It sells for about 20 bucks and has an average three and a half star rating at Sportsman's Warehouse. Ameristep makes one that has the push out and pull in hubs for quick takedown and setup. This one is about 25 inches tall and is 91 inches long and I was surprised to see this. It weighs 1.8 pounds. I figured with the hubs that it would weigh more, but it only weighs 1.8 pounds. That's pretty strong. And it has one five-star rating at sportsmansguide.com, and the cost of that blind is about $30 on that website. I'm not telling you that these are the best prices out there. I'm just saying that very quickly, very briefly, this is what I found as far as pricing on these goes. Now, Night and Hill makes one that is a camouflage umbrella that opens up very quickly and has three shooting windows in it that we can put our guns through or just shoot through. It also has a flat side to the umbrella that rests on the ground. It cost about $45 on rogerssportinggoods.com, but I did actually find it on Night and Hill dot com for $22.50 because it looks like Night and Hell is probably discontinuing this particular blind. So if you want one for 20 bucks, you need to hurry over there and get one before they sell them out. This blind weighs about 1.65 pounds. It's 38 inches tall and 27 inches long. Now both Mad and Hunter Specialties makes a blind with a shooting rest in the center and collapsible bat wing sides and you guys can check those out online as well. Hopefully by now you got a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. These blinds are small, they're lightweight, easy and quick to set up, and they either stick into or rest on top of the ground. And they are great for those of us who hunt with young and or inexperienced hunters who may be a little bit fidgety. Those of us who hunt solo and try to self-film our hunts. Those of us who bow hunt turkeys but still want the opportunity to quickly and easily move our setup for those wandering wild turkeys. Or those of us who have the jimmy legs... <laughs> 
and like to take mid-morning naps while we're sitting against a tree waiting on a turkey to come by. And if you don't know what the Jimmy Legs is, I highly recommend going to YouTube and typing in Jimmy Legs Seinfeld and watching the short video clip of the Seinfeld episode about Jimmy Legs on there. I personally have used a stake type blind several times and I found them to be very easy and quick to set up and not too bulky or heavy to carry from setup to setup. Now I haven't used one in several years, but I still more often than not will actually make a blind of some sort if I have the time and the opportunity. Just to explain that a little bit more, I'll carry a fallen tree branch or two in front of and or beside me, depending on how I think the turkey will approach. Or if I feel like I have a minute or two to spare before the tom is in sight, or I probably should say before I'm in the tom's sight, then I'll actually cut a few small saplings and stick them in the ground in front of and beside me just to break up my outline a little bit. Now making a blind by cutting saplings is often not as quick as setting up a stake type of ground blind. It involves more movement and noise and it's not perfect in the respect that if you stick a leafed up top heavy sapling into rocky or very wet soil, there's a good chance if there's any kind of wind blowing that that cut sapling is going to either fall over completely or even lean over and spook your approaching tom. Now the same concern can be an issue for our stake type ground blinds as well. So we must be careful not to bump those with our gun barrels or kick them with our feet while we're repositioning our guns for an approaching tom. And we don't want to set up these types of blinds too close to our bodies as well, as I really think that that is a setup for our bottom lip to be poked out while we eat a bowl of tag soup for dinner. Personally, I do recommend a blind like this for most of us turkey hunters. They are relatively inexpensive, they are fairly lightweight, and they can be quite useful. And here's the thing, we don't have to use one of these every time that we go out or every time that we set up. My dad has a saying that I find pretty fitting in quite a few applications in my daily life. He often says it is better to have it and not need it than it is to need it and not have it. Ultimately, all things being equal, needing and having a portable hunting blind for run and gun turkey hunting is better than needing and not having one or even having access to one. If you can stand to add a couple of pounds to your turkey gear, having one of these little blinds can often help you tag an extra turkey or two. All right, our next Joe Casalco topic suggestion is one that is often overlooked by us turkey hunters and that topic suggestion is customizing our turkey decoys. Most turkey decoys are extremely realistic these days in both their body posture and their colorations. Do you guys remember those old feather flex decoys? I'm talking like 1980s feather flex decoys. Even if you don't remember those, you remember the feather flex decoys because they are still in production today and they are some of the most inexpensive turkey decoys that we can buy. They worked very well back in the day 30 years ago when they were still fairly new to the market and they still work today. 
but they just aren't the most realistic looking turkey decoy that's on the market. The good news is that we can customize old or even unrealistic looking decoys to just freshen them up or to give them a new attitude. These customizations can involve a can of spray paint or a pair of utility scissors and super glue or all of the above. You know our hard plastic decoys get a little bit worse for wear after rolling around in the bed of our trucks or even just being toted around in their carrying bag knocking up against trees, wet grass, tree stumps, branches, twigs, briars, vines, on and on and on. They get abused hauling them in and out of the woods. Touching up the body and head paint on our decoys won't hurt unless maybe we have some of those fancy Dave Smith decoys that have the iridescent paint on them and we paint over that iridescence, which I don't think would be very smart on our part. And if we have those fancy expensive iridescent painted decoys, then we probably would want to limit the extent of our body touch-up paintwork to only the area that needs it the most. So let's talk about painting the decoys first. I've been talking about that a little bit here, talking about touching up our decoys, but touching them up and modifying them or customizing them are two different things. So we need to not hesitate to actually paint our decoys. Now, most turkey decoys that we would buy, most of them that are on the market, are replicating an eastern wild turkey's coloration. Now, I do know that there's a couple of manufacturers that make Merriam's colored turkey decoys and Rio colored turkey decoys. But if we don't want to limit ourselves to that colored turkey, then we can buy the eastern colored turkey decoys. And if we're going to hunt Merriam's, and we're going to hunt them full time, paint the tips of the tail white. Put some more white barring into the primary wing feathers and maybe paint a few thin white stripes down the rump of that turkey decoy as well. The good thing about doing that is even if we're just going to go hunt Merriam's for a week and then we're going to drive back home and hunt Easterns, we can paint it brown again. Not a big deal. But if we're going to hunt Merriam's full time, then I think we need to paint those decoys. I think they need to look as much like a Merriam's wild turkey as they could possibly look. We don't need to break out the paint brushes and create a Picasso painting on a wild turkey decoy. Just regular semi-gloss or flat spray paint will do. Now, if touching up some body or tail feather paint then we may want to use a brush so that we can be a bit more exact with where we apply our new paint. And the easiest way to do that is to spray some spray paint on a piece of cardboard until there's enough wet paint there that we can dip a paintbrush into and use to paint onto our decoys. Painting heads, necks, and wattles of our decoys can be a little bit more tricky, especially on our Jake or Strutter decoys. Just remember that white and blue are typically indicative of a tom that is in love, and red is typically a color of aggression. Of course, none of that is written in stone, and if you don't believe that it's not written in stone, all we need to do is to watch a few turkey hunting videos on YouTube 
to realize that a turkey with an almost solid white and blue head, neck, and wattles will still beat the tar out of a strutter decoy, just like one with blood red wattles and a blood red neck will do. When and if we do get ready to paint the head, neck, and wattles of a turkey, get online and do some research. Watch some videos on YouTube to see the coloration in a turkey's head, neck, and wattles change as his mood changes. Seriously, though, we need to study all that. Studying that will help us to learn a turkey's body posture and body language, and it will not only help us make better modifications to our decoys, but it will make us more effective killers as well. I didn't say hunters. I said killers. So here is where I need to throw my disclaimer out there to you. Before you bust out your strutter and jake decoys and start spray painting them, I really need to mention that a lot, a lot of time and research has gone into the coloration of your upper end, more realistic strutter and jake decoys, heads, necks, and wattles. Please think twice before you repaint those. Now the same thing goes with their body modifications as well. Please don't cut up your $200 DSD strutter decoy. Please don't. I mean, it's yours and everything, but if you want to cut one up, buy a cheaper decoy to chop up. Or look on Craigslist or on eBay and buy a used one and start chopping it up. Speaking of chopping up our deeks, let's talk about that in more detail now. There are several customizations that we can make with a pair of scissors or even an X-Acto knife. Trimming a Jake or Strutter decoy beard is one of them. And, you know, a lot of times these Jake decoys, they have beard lengths that are about four or five inches long. They're like Super Jake beards. And I'm not saying that a Super Jake may run off a two-year-old Tom or a five-year-old Tom, but I think cutting the beard on that Jake decoy to where it's two inches long is about right. Yes, there are plenty of Toms out there that have beard rot that are the dominant bird in their neck of the woods. But when another male turkey is looking at your decoy and he notices the size of that turkey is slightly smaller than a full-grown, great big old, long-bearded Tom turkey, and he sees that beard that's two inches long, and he knows that there are jakes in that area, your odds of making him mad have just gone up. So consider taking that jake decoy and cutting that beard on the jake decoy to where it's about two inches long. Another customization that we can make is to cut the head, neck, and wattles off of a strutter decoy or even a jake decoy and fastening that to a real turkey fan so that now you have a reaper decoy. So why would a turkey head attached to a turkey fan with no body work to reap a turkey? Well, I think we're just going to have to ask the turkeys that question. It will work. It does work. If we're approaching a wild turkey going straight at him, he can't really tell very well if that turkey that's approaching him has a body or not. All he's focused in on, all he's thinking about is, here is another turkey in full strut approaching me and challenging me. 
you'll see the coloration on the head and wattles and neck of the decoy that you cut the head off of and attached to that fan and he'll see the fan and that's all he needs to see to get him to react. Another thing that we can do to customize our decoys is we can actually make a breeder pair with a jake or a strutter by fastening that jake or strutter decoy to a breeder or feeder hen decoy. So why do we want to do that? Again, we're playing on that whole jealousy thing with that mature Tom. We want him to think that another male turkey has moved into the neighborhood and has not only been pitching woo on his hens, but has actually scored with his hens. A breeding pair decoy actually works pretty well, and there are several of them already on the market, but you can make your own without having to buy any new ones. So if you've got some old decoys that you want to touch the paint up on so they're a little bit more realistic and modify them, cut them, mold them, however you need to do it so that you can get you a breeder pair, it might be worth saving the money and spending the time doing it. One other customization that we need to think about with our decoys is to check and fix, if we need to, the snood on our decoys. A longer snood is a sign of a relaxed, dominant tom. So do you want your strutter to be the biggest, baddest, most dominant turkey in the woods? Or do you want him to be a smaller, more subordinate bird? I'm not saying there's a correct answer. I'm just asking you so you can ask yourself. I'm not sure how many times I've said this, but I think this is the last time I'm going to say it. Please think twice before you cut up and change your expensive high-end decoys because those companies that make those decoys have spent a ton of time studying turkey body posture and coloration and they've done a really good job, I think, of getting it very close to being right. So if I had a $200 strutter decoy, I don't think I'd be cutting the snood to shorten it, but it's your decoy. You do what you want to do. All right, here is an easy customization for you. Tie a piece of fishing line onto one of the feathers in the fan of your strutter decoy or even around the neck of one of your hen decoys to give it some motion when you need to. So if you tie one end around the turkey decoy and you are holding the other end, you can spin that decoy around, give it a little movement, give it a little motion, and a lot of times that's all that big Tom needs to think that that is a live turkey out there and to come join you. Now, with that being said, be sure to check your state laws because some of them prohibit any type of motion decoy and you don't want to get a ticket because of a piece of fishing line. Now, there's plenty of things that can go wrong with Tying a piece of fishing line around a decoy, for example, that Tom could walk between you and the decoy and get in that fishing line, and that might be enough to spook him. Or the fishing line can get wrapped around a stick between you and the decoy, and now you're moving a stick every time you move that fishing line, or grass, or brush, or vines, or whatever it may be. So there's plenty of things that can go wrong with that simple customization during the execution of pulling that fishing line but in the right circumstances in the right environment adding motion to your decoys can be deadly one other thing is that it's a bit of a pain to deal with before and 
after your hunt. But again, that movement can make the difference to a big old mature tom, and that's what we all want, isn't it? All right, the last customization that we can make to our decoys is one that should probably go without mentioning, but definitely can't go without mentioning, and that's adding real wings and fans to our strutter decoys. I mean, that customization should pretty much be automatic on our part, but I've seen people using the fake fans that come with those strutter decoys before, and it just seems silly to me not to at least use a real fan and replace the fake fan with it. But what do I know? I'm just a turkey hunter. All right, that's all that I've got for you guys today, but before I cut you loose for the week, I'm going to ask you for a favor. The favor's a little bit different this week, so hang in there with me. The favor of the week is to please post the link to this week's show on any and every hunting fan page on Facebook that you're a member of. Go to my website, theturkeyhunterpodcast.com, click on the link for this week's show, highlight the URL, and then paste that URL into a Facebook post on those fan pages. And put a sweet little comment like, hey, you guys need to check this out. The show's awesome. Well, maybe that's what I would put if I were typing it. But you put your own thing in there. If you'd do that for me, that'd be a huge, 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 huge favor. And I would be very appreciative of that. Now I have to say thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.